Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to uh, part two of uh, Sean Hughes Under the Radar, uh, the lovely Adam Hills. Adam, thanks uh, again for coming in. So we talked about the um, the last leg, but now I just want to talk about your... Like, I've known you for a long time, yeah. but tell us about the beginnings of your life. Uh, I had a very standard suburban Australian life growing up. But you say that, but you were born with a disability, weren't you? I was, but I never saw it as that. I didn't... But... It's 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 one of those weird things. I never saw myself as being disabled for a number of reasons. Firstly, the 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 amount of my foot that I'm missing is so minimal that I can actually walk without the prosthetic. Really? Yeah. So I've got I've got a, a stump. It's, so it's a deformity. It wasn't a it wasn't an amputation. Okay. So let's go. So when, when you were a kid, right I guess you could have walked. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go all the way back to when I was born. So when I was born, I came out with this foot that had an ankle joint. Um, no, okay. Do you know what? I'm going to show you. I know this is oh, weird. No, it's a podcast, and it's. Oh, do you get free yeah, time get, stuff like yeah, this? Do you? Okay. I can't watch hospital programs on telly. Really? Yeah. But the, thanks for the Nothing's offer. been chopped off. No, it's just honestly. Wow. Okay. And it's just a thing with me. Sure. Like, I just even like any you know 24 hours in A and E. Just yeah. go. No, I'm not watching any of that. Right. I just don't want to see people. You know, with the the you know bone coming out of their elbow or anything like that. Yeah. Just okay. go. Oh. All right. I totally so, but thank you. No, that's right. So it's so the foot's like. It's, it's got an ankle joint. It's got a little heel. It's about... Oh, it's got a heel? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's about... Uh, I'm trying to work out... What, what, what is that? About 10 centimetres long. I can, I can bear weight on it. Right. And it, you, and it had two small toes on top of it. So it was a, it was a proper deformity. But so why, why is the kind of uh, prosthetic so big then? Because... Um, and so I could, I could walk on it for a while, but then as I grew... The height difference between my left sure. and right foot got bigger and bigger. Yeah. So now, I mean, you can see that. That's a good 15 centimetres. See, because that's. Well, you, you've got a new one, which is. Yes. Uh, it's interesting because now you can see how little has actually uh, gone off. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now I've got one of those blades. Yeah. So you can actually see where the stump ends. But look, I know you talked about it on telly as well, but it is really weird that uh, that makes it a lot more, you know, people can see it much more easier now. Yeah. But but thanks to the Paralympics, people know what blades are, yeah. and they and they kind of think they look a, a little bit cool. I think. No, so, they do look cool, but I'm yeah. just thinking, like you know, you get ignoramuses, you kind of, you know, it's just that general thing that, especially kids. Oh yeah, yeah, but kids are kids are nicer because kids will just ask, kids will just blurt. No, they just go, "What's up?" Yeah, you but that's that I don't mind. I remember right. sitting on a beach. I used to do this in stand up, but laying on a beach once and hearing this kid come up from the water with his mum, just going, and then a wave came, and then Susie got knocked over, and then Susie got up, and then I got knocked over, and then I saw I thought I saw a shark, but it wasn't a shark, and then that man's got one leg. <laughs> But so right, so you think so? Where whereabouts in Australia? So Sydney. I grew up right. in the southern suburbs of Sydney, which is was very white. Brothers very, and sisters? Uh, yeah, I've got a younger brother. Okay. Uh, a dad who worked for Qantas as cabin crew. Never crash. Never crash. Never crash. Um, so he was away a lot. Dad was away. For that kind of comes with the airline job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but for me, 
what I saw him do, because we would go on family holidays, he would travel around the world and talk on a microphone. <laughs> that was that was what I thought my dad did. Because right. we'd go on, you know, we'd go on a flight, and he might be working on the flight, and then we'd hear him come on, ladies and gentlemen. This yeah, but is, surely uh, you'd know beforehand. You don't just pick a flight. You kind of go, down, are you on that flight? <laughs> yeah. You'd kind of ask. No, we'd plan family holidays yeah. around whatever flights he was going to be you on. You mean free flights? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, but then, of course, we always had to go standby because that was yeah. we got the free, but it was standby. So every every family holiday was sitting in the in the airport, going, "Are we going to get on? Are we yeah. going to run?" Um, and was it like business class or just no, box no, standard economy? I remember when I was when I was fourteen, he took me for my birthday. He had a he had a trip to Tokyo, so he took me to Tokyo, and I just got, to two years. Yeah, and I got bumped up to first class, and it was all the ginger ale I could drink. And I thought it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. Well, I'll tell you the weird thing, not to put into your story, because it yeah. is your story, but um, I was going to Australia, I think it was with British Airways, and uh, um, it was myself and Phil Jupiter, who were in Buzzcocks at the time, oh, yeah, yeah. and Terry Alderton, and uh, we went in to kind of check in, and the woman recognised me and Phil. And we were already in business, but they bumped us up to first. And we went, see you later, Terry. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but then the weird thing, because like, first class, you know, especially certain airlines, isn't any different to business, no, really. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, because it's a two-legged fly, uh, the next people, we were back to uh, business. Oh, wow, And right. you're kind of there in business <laughs> going, this is a bit small, this, isn't it? The food isn't as good here, sitting beside Terry. But anyway, so that you're you in Tokyo. That never stops. Who t- um, Richard Ioardi told me he did a film with Ben Stiller. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they were promoting it in the States. And at the end of the promotion... Um, Ben Stiller said, oh, what are you, uh, or Richard said, what flight are you on? And Ben said, well, I've, I've got my private jet. And Richard went, oh, OK, oh, well, I'll see you. And Ben Stiller said, well, why don't you come with me on the jet? It, it'd be fine. So they got on the private jet and, you know, having food and everything. And then Richard said, well, this is absolutely lovely. And Ben Stiller went, yeah, the problem is you can never go back. I know, that's the thing. <laughs> it's always another level of yeah, luxury. Yeah, absolutely right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I had, I had a really... But you were saying you were going to Tokyo with yeah, your dad. yeah. Um, so that was my childhood, my, but my childhood was just, it was really lovely. Uh, but so, right, 14 is an interesting age, right? So you're in school, yeah. especially when you go to a new school. Yeah. And 14-year-olds, like, they are spiteful and stuff. So you must have got slagged off and got nicknames and the like. No, again, like... But it, you would have been used to it yourself, so it wouldn't bother you. But I just know any 14-year-old, like, if yeah. you've got a spot in your head, you feel really subconscious, you know, self-conscious about the whole thing. So... Like I'm sure you, they must have slagged you off a little bit. I, surprisingly little, when I think back, and I think part of it was wearing long. You're really good at fight. No, no, no. <laughs> I wish. You big alpha man. No. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, no, that's where the comedy came in. I think. No, I think. Well, wearing long trousers, you can never really tell, so it didn't stand out. Yeah. Because what the, the thing that kids will pick on, pick on is someone who stands out, not not who's got a thing that makes them different if it's visibly different. So half the year they didn't know because I'd been in long trousers. I even remember one kid in summer, me going up to play cricket with them, and he went, oh, what happened to your foot? And I looked at him and he went, oh, sorry, I just forgot. I just haven't seen you in shorts for six months and I forgot about it. Um, And what it was, and again, this was a really weirdly formative moment for me, is in... So I I used to pull my socks up. So, the, yeah. the, the so that, you were kind of slightly, yeah. slightly hiding it. So I was hiding it. And then I realised that 
I was being mocked, not because of the prosthetic, but because I was the only kid with his socks pulled all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean, they looked at anything. <laughs> exactly. So then, then I just went, do you know what, bugger this, and just rolled my socks down. And then there was no more mocking. And there was, there was for some reason, it almost felt like the kids at school decided not to make fun of the disability. But you're, like, a very friendly bloke as well, and I take it you were back then. So it would be very hard to kind of, you know, mock you in general. Maybe. I think... I think... I mean, no, I, you know, I, I got pushed around, I got bullied, I got, you know, beaten up by some kids, I got mocked Just, by some kids. You don't kids. have to tell people what happens off-air in this studio. <laughs> I'm trying to come across as me, effeminate side. <laughs> Sean know push you around. Sean yeah, thanks me. for coming in. I get out of here. <laughs> we joke, but he hits me. Um, <laughs> no, but I we I got bullied for other things. I got bullied for being a smart kid or for being a wimpy kid. Or, um, but I didn't get bullied for the foot. That was that was really right. interesting. And I don't know why. I don't know whether I, you'd have to ask the other kids why they didn't. Well, I, luckily, I they're all here. <laughs> Jimmy O'Reilly. <laughs> Jimmy Masterson. They're all, 25 of them. Get some seats in here. <laughs> all right, lads. Why didn't you bully me about the foot? We just liked you, Adam. Um, <laughs> so, right, so you went through school. Then you went to university, I take it? Uh, yeah, I went to university. But the thing, the thing that was always there from a very early age, and I'm not entirely sure where it started, was comedy. And, and the love oh, of Oh, but get on to that. that. Surely that wasn't there at 14. I was well before 14. Yeah, but like loving comedy, not yeah. thinking about doing it. Oh, not thinking about doing it. No, that came later. But um, So what was the first thing you saw? Because mine was Richard Pryor. I think the first thing I heard was on a, was on a family holiday when I was about eight Again, or Again, if we can just clarify, free. It was a family, family holiday. holiday, yeah. And because, here's the interesting thing. Because it was free, and we, we didn't all get to sit together. So my brother and I had two seats, and then about three rows back, my mum and dad sat together. So I reckon my brother maybe was seven and I was nine, I think. And so I remember putting on the, the headphones and listening to the in-flight comedy channel. And the first person I heard was Victor Borger doing right. a routine about phonetic punctuation. Yeah, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. I don't like that kind of stuff. Why? Well, it, it's, it's clever rather than funny. Wouldn't you not agree? Have you have you heard that particular routine? No, maybe not, but just what you say, like when people do those things. It's like I don't find uh, much musical comedy funny. Right, okay. You know, so that's where it's yeah, yeah, like fair enough. Kind of thing. Yeah, um, which is one thing that Victor Borger does a lot of. But this particular one was about how uh, punctuation in sentences should have noises so that you know when there's a comma coming up and you know where there's a question mark. and a... Yeah, again, very clever. It is very clever, but then he does a whole bit where he actually reads a passage from a book with all of the bits of punctuation. Yeah, I can imagine that being funny. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of funny. And it was the first time I'd really heard anything like that. And I remember kind of kneeling on my seat and yelling to my mum and dad three rows back, there's a man being funny on the radio. And they would just sit down, just Adam, just sit down and just keep listening. And I think because I didn't have them there to talk to... I By listened. the way, wasn't your dad... Why wasn't he... He um... wasn't working on that particular flight. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been a disaster. It's well, on autopilot, I'll be fine. I have vivid memories of some flights where where the crew were so overworked, it was such a full flight, that my dad would go, do you know what, I'm just going to get up and help. <laughs> and he would then start helping out. One of these civvies. Yeah, and other and people passengers... people would be going, well, why, why are you giving me peanuts? Yeah, yeah, and so other passengers would think, oh, well, I guess we're all helping out. Yeah. <laughs> He'd get up and start That would be great, well. actually. But... Um, so I, but I remember listening to this, 
it was like a 40 minute and it was I, I don't even know who the other comedians were probably Bill Cosby um, maybe Connolly I don't know maybe me Adam oh this would have been yeah I'm that old no, no I'm this is 70s I'm talking yeah I started very young no <laughs> <laughs> but so but I, so I listened to this all the way to the end of the 40 minutes and then it would rewind for 10 minutes I mean, what, you were 14 now no I, w- I would have been about 9 at this point oh wow it that is very rewind yeah. and then it would play again and then it would rewind and it play again. And I reckon I listened three or four, maybe even five times. And yeah. I listened to the same routine. Nine-year-olds can be quite annoying. <laughs> <laughs> same routines over and over. And I'd wow. listen to the rhythm of them. And I really was fascinated by listening to it. And maybe it was because of that. But then after that holiday, my dad had um, Peter Sellers albums, uh, Billy Co- um, Bill Cosby he would play. And yeah, then, I hope he's thrown that one out. I mean, it's amazing to think back that... I saw. I so did I. Where did you see him? In San Francisco. Right. When? When? About uh, less than ten years ago. Like okay. It, quite old, but it yeah. was, And it's one of those casino function rooms. Right. It, like, he was good. He wasn't great, and uh, but you know you just at that time had respect for him, and yeah. it was just amazing to see him. Where did you see him? I saw him in Montreal, probably around about the same time, maybe. Oh, a bit less, maybe eight, seven or eight years ago. And was he doing a full show? Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. And I had to. I only watched about. 25 minutes because I had I was doing my own show. He's done what to women? <laughs> I'm out of here. Well, there's another interesting thing. He did this whole routine about getting annoyed at his wife and women and do women do this and mm. they say this and yeah and it was almost like manpower. Mm. And I watched half an hour of that and then I had to go and do my own show and then my wife had stayed to watch the show and I said what was it you know what was the rest of the show like? She said he's got some women issues. Really? All he did was talk just degrade women for an hour and but a half. But it's a really weird thing because, like, when I was a kid, uh, the Cosby show was... Oh, man. You know, and it was, like, so clean. You know, yes. You just go, oh, you know, family morals and all that. Yeah. Like, that and family ties I used to love. Well, that's what we used to listen to on holidays. We used to put in a cassette, a Bill Cosby cassette. The whole family would listen to that. So we did have a... You know, again, even at the age of nine or ten, we would listen to stand-up in the car. Right. So that's where I first... So the whole family enjoyed it. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... And then I would start doing impersonations of Bill Cosby, either to my yeah, parents. Yeah, that was or... quite good actually. That one, seriously. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I would really listen to the routines, and I would kind of um, impersonate them. And then I guess from that was Billy Connolly, and then Robin Williams. I think was the one that opened See, my that's eyes. That's another to. one I don't get. Really? I know. Right. Never. Wow. Laughed once. But I mean, that's that's comedy, isn't it? Yeah. Like that, and that's why it's really like, interesting when. Did you? Notice, I didn't go, he's not funny. I just went, I didn't get him. Yes. People who don't really are in common, they just go, he's shit. <laughs> I would never say that. Yeah, yeah. I know how talented he is. I just go, leaves me cold. Does that happen with music? Do people, I mean, there are there are bands that people don't like. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say Coldplay just because that's one that you hear people go, Coldplay. It's easier, Coldplay. Yeah. But do they, no one ever says Coldplay is shit. They always go, I hate Coldplay. Yeah. But when it comes to comedy, yeah, you're right. Actually, comedy they go, well, that guy's shit. Yeah. Because, and maybe it's because the alternative is you don't get it. I know. And yeah. no one wants to think I don't get it. Yeah, you don't go. I didn't get that Coldplay song. <laughs> yeah. They must be shit. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's comedians I don't. Yeah, of course. Get. Yeah. There's, you, there's... Unlike me, you won't tell them to the face. <laughs> But, um, I remember um, uh, on that, I remember being in... Well, you know Barry Murphy. Yeah, Irish yeah, I love him. He's great. The first time I met him, he's a lovely man for, for, for people listening, and um, he, we were in... He's a drunkard. 
Yeah, well, he's definitely a drunkard. We were in Galway. Right. There was a comedy festival there. Yes. And a few of us had gone out to dinner before the show and we'd gone to McDonough's uh, fish restaurant and there was a blackout. All the electricity went out and they came out and said, listen, uh, we can still use the grill, we can still use the gas, we can give you candles, we can still cook you some stuff, we just can't cook you everything. And we had this really lovely meal, a whole bunch of us, including Barry, I'd never met him before, chat, chat, chat. We went off and did the gig together. I think Barry emceed and I did a spot. And then afterwards we went out for a drink and he said, you had, you had a good show tonight. I said, oh, thank you. He said, I really enjoyed your act. I said, thank you. And he said, and I'm glad I enjoyed your act because if you had died, I'd have never spoken to you again. <laughs> But I quite enjoyed the chat over dinner, so I was hoping you were going to be good. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly you got him. That's, that's exactly on. that comedic thing. Yeah, going. you know. Now Barry's great. Actually, I saw him. Uh, well, I think you were there as well because I did a couple of the Irish festivals this year, and then um, Barry was on, and uh, he was tremendous, really oh, funny, he's, and he's he's quitting. Is he? Mm. He is one of those people that that more people should know about. Like, it's just, it almost, it's a shame that yeah, people... Yeah, but I think he's not that bothered about it. No, that. he's totally not that so bothered about it, I don't think. You don't worry about it either. No. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, no, no I'm no, not no, saying you don't. Point. I'm just saying, yeah. don't worry about it. I shouldn't worry about it, because yeah. he's not worried, yeah. But um, so, let's get back to your life. Right. So, um, pretty easy childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, lovely suburban upbringing. Uh, We're already at 14. Stop going back. Loved comedy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, this is this is what's right. brought us up to 14. Uh... Studied hard at school. Um, this is not the interview for you to get into university. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not the admissions officer going, yes, tell us a bit more about yourself. <laughs> did you study hard? So you went to university. Played a lot of tennis. There you go. That's, that's oh, what I did. God, I yeah, played I an enormous that. amount of you tennis. You still play tennis. I, s- I haven't played lately, but um, I played. Because you don't like the cold. No, I just needed someone to, to play against, actually. Right. I'm sorry, I'm not the person. Really? I've got no. I guess I'm slightly dyslexic in general, but I've definitely got physical dyslexia. Right, okay. You know, where I just go, is that, do I hit it with my left? Do you know that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Terrible at sport. Well, see, I think that was one thing that my parents also did quite, for me, when I was quite young, was they enrolled me in a gymnastics class when I was probably about five or six. And because, actually, again, if you you go back, so when I was born, this is what I was going to say to you before, when when I was born, the initial response from the surgeons was, we don't know what, that is below his knee, maybe we should chop it off. Right. And the first thought was amputate. And they called in a, a, a specialist who came in and looked and said, no, I think that's an ankle joint, and I think if you leave it, he's going to have a better chance of walking without the prosthetic, and it's going to make him steadier with the prosthetic, and you should leave it. And I saw that guy, he's now in his 80s. And, but uh, I take it it was your dad or mum that told you this story, not you, like this amazing memory. <laughs> From birth. I mean, yeah. I was trying I'm, to speak I'm listening. Up. <laughs> I'm listening. Well, my dad and mum and now this guy will all, whenever I yeah, see him, will remind me yeah. and tell me the story. And he's, he still says it's one of his proudest moments. Because Brilliant. He comes along and he watches me on stage. And he's got a son who was born two days la- after me. And so, also called Adam. And so, he, for some reason, he always compares his son to me. Now, this is getting spooky. Stop it. It is a bit weird. But actually, no, because when you said that little bit there, it reminded me of, you know, uh, Dr. Feelgood when he was given that terminal cancer. No. But... Um, that's the right name, isn't it? Dr. Feelgood? It's Wilco Johnson. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. But, um, and he, was, uh, he did a tour to yeah. just go say goodbye to everyone. And they, they gave him no hope. And this guy, uh, this specialist in cancer kind of uh, was watching it and he went, no, no. 
we can sort this out, and he's still alive now. Wow, really? So the exact same thing, thing yeah. like, you know, just... But then there's a sadness to that as well, that there's not enough of those people out there. Yeah. You know, like bog-standard kind of... Uh, you know, I don't want to be slagging off doctors, but, you know, when there's guys who actually have a vision. Well, yeah, I mean, even as I, as I got older, you know, the first specialist that my mum took me to then when I was, you know, one or two years old, must have been younger, one, um, said he'll never walk. Maybe a few months old, this specialist said he'll never walk, so just get used to that. You may as well buy him a wheelchair now. And mum went home and was devastated. And then, I don't know who it was she was talking to, but someone said, no, 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 there's this other specialist. Go and see this guy. Mm. And she went and saw this other guy, and he went, oh, that's bollocks. Of course he's going to walk. He'll be fine. But, yeah. but what, they, what this guy said is, from an early age, enrol him in something, something sporting, something like gymnastics, teach him coordination. But bizarrely, um, I went to see that boxing film recently. You know the true story one about Vaz, who basically, oh, right. he won a couple of world championships and then had a car crash and right. had to get one of those halos where you know, oh, his yeah, neck okay. was broken yeah. and the doctor said you'll never walk again and uh, he pretty much started training straight away and won two world championships wow. great film actually yeah well it's a good I'd, I'd like to think I might be wrong but I think I, I think I took that from a very early age which is that's what I mean Like rather than even the doctor being brilliant yeah. you were a survivor straight yeah. away you can do you know, I, if if I really want to do something and someone tells me I can't, then that just gives me more reason to do it. And in fact, even is that how you got recommissioned for the last uh, leg? <laughs> <laughs> I I remember. Do you know what I remember early on when I started doing comedy? Because again, I was this really sheltered nineteen-year-old from the suburbs. You started at nineteen. Yeah, so I started doing stand-up at nineteen when I was at university. And at that point, I mean, now there are... we, we were all shit when we started. Yeah. But now there's lots of teenagers that are doing comedy. Yeah. But back then, I was the youngest, just the youngest. But do you think there's more of a young audience now, though? Oh, so definitely. I think I think the internet, I think YouTube, yeah. you know, people are more aware of, of stand-up and they'll get into it at a, at a younger age. But I had no life experience whatsoever. I had a really sheltered upbringing. Um, and I remember on about the third or fourth night, the act before me had just been booed off stage. There was a lot of stag nights in... So this was not like a university gig, it was a No, club. this was the Sydney Comedy Store, yeah. Okay. And it was it was always stag nights. And you were 19? Yeah. And I remember the, the manager looking at me going, oh, you would have... Uh, Ingrid. Right, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Ingrid going, oh, God, look at Adam having kittens in the corner. You're right over there. And at that moment I thought, do you know what? Screw you. I know you think I'm this little, this little kid from the suburbs who's going to crumble on stage, but no, I'm going to fucking show you. And I went out there and, it, like, somehow bravado, I don't know, or bullshit, really, got my way through it. Brilliant. And then... Well, that wasn't your first gig? That was the it wasn't my first gig, but it was one of my... It would have been within the first six months. But did you... Because um, I think it's healthy. In the first, like, couple of months, did you die on stage? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. See, that's when you know you're going to be a comic for life, because a lot of people, when that happens, you go... Like, I was in a double act, right? Right. When I started off, and we moved over to London. We had six gigs booked. The first three went brilliant, even though we were rubbish. I have to point that out. Right. Fourth gig, genres, died on our ass. And, you know, you kind of go... When you're in a double act, it's actually quite nice, because you kind of go, well, we got each other, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, support. Yeah. And the, the next morning, uh, woke up, you know, and he just goes, uh, oh, I just got a phone call, my sister's ill. I have to go back to Ireland, and I never saw him ever again. Really? And this is what I'm saying, like, you know, he couldn't deal with the rejection. And the comics have to deal with a lot of rejection. I think, I think whether or not... If you, if you still want to do comedy after dying, then you you're in the right it. job. Yeah. But you've got to die early to have that tested, because, it, I mean, it feels worse than 
anyone could ever imagine at the time. And then the next morning you get up and the rest of the world is still going on. And I know, it's like uh, when I started doing the comedy store first, it was, uh, you know you didn't go well when you go into the dressing room and everyone's just really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I read a, I read a book of um, letters. It was letters from Van Gogh right. uh, to his brother, and and those were what really made him famous. The letters when they were published after his death, and people. Well, I think the paintings, that. maybe. No, 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 it wasn't that because okay. he didn't sell a painting while he was. Alive. I know, I know that. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I meant the, yeah, the letters sparked interest in the paintings. Okay. Yeah, um, and he talked about. There was one letter where he said, I, I, you know, over the past week, I've done fifty sketches of the same tree just to get it right. And I was reading that on a plane thinking, I wish there was something in my life that I was that obsessed about, mm. that I would that I would really... Oh. And then I was sitting there looking out the window and thought of a joke and pulled out my notebook and scribbled it down and went, oh, there is. I've yeah. just done it. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on a plane and I'm thinking of jokes. But, see, but that's the thing, like, because uh, we'll wrap it up in a sec, but um, now that you're doing a lot of television, mm. like, I know your first love is stand-up. Mm. Do you find you're going to do less stand-up then? A little. I'm trying to balance it mm. in that... I can't do as much stand-up as I was doing. You still love it, though? I still love it. I still absolutely love it. The travel's killing me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, tell me about uh, it. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, last night, we did, so we did the last leg on Saturday night live, and as you say, you start work at 12.30 in the morning, in the, in the afternoon, you finish, you leave the studio at 1.00 And you're no prima donna either, so you won't make demands on people. <laughs> Get me a sandwich now. <laughs> no, I've only got one leg. <laughs> Did you play that card at all? Not not in the no. last leg, but in your life. No, that was the other thing. So growing up, uh, you know, my parents were told to treat treat me like any other normal yeah. kid. If we were playing cricket and I tripped over and they'd go, I'll oh, give him another go, I'd go, no, I'm out. Yeah, but that's you doing that. I, I can imagine if you were bold when you were a kid mm. and uh, your parents going, um, you know, Adam, you can't, I've only got one leg, Mum, just don't... Don't stop shouting at me. No, I never. I, no, I, I really, I was really... Like, you know, I wanted to do what the other kids could do. And that's why I think that's why I never talked about it in stand-up for so long, because I didn't want to... Now you can't stop! (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. I really have to pull back on it now. People get very annoyed when I talk about it now. Yeah, but it is a weird thing, because you're still building new audiences because of television. Yeah. And if you don't mention it, and then they go... When they mentioned the bloody... Exactly right. So after the last... After the 2012 Paralympics, the next year I did a tour... And I found it was like the audience had had discovered an album that I'd released ten years earlier. It was like that, so they were coming along to the show waiting for me to do the material about my foot. Yeah. And that particular show, I wasn't talking about it, so I had to find a, a spot to slot it in to keep everyone happy. So they go right, good. That's out of the way. That's the yeah. bit, that's the bit we kind of came. Because you must be bored. That's what I mean. Bored talking about a bored when. It, and you said you weren't when in interviews when people bring it up and stuff. I know it's like one of the defining moments of your body, not your life. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like uh, I was telling you about. You know, I my big again problem with because uh, I find British people very generous of heart. Yeah. And uh, but with disability. They still look to the disability rather than to the brain, and I find that just needs to be retrained in people. Well, the the the, fir- the reason I started talking about it was genuine, and it, it it's become a routine now. But it was after September 11. It was three days after I went through Heathrow Airport, and my foot would always set off the metal detectors, and I fully expected them to go right. We need you to take it off. We need to have, a-. and I would have happily done that at that point. 
But I remember the guy getting really freaked out when he was right, what's going on? And I said, it's a prosthetic. And he went, oh, sorry, mate, go for it. Just go through. Yeah. And, you know, in for, on stage, I follow with the line. He had a look on his face that basically said, I don't care if the plane goes down. I don't want to offend a spastic. Just go, just <laughs> yeah. go. But that line, that was exactly the reason that I wanted to start talking about it on yeah. stage because I just thought, this is ridiculous. Like, we've just had what's happened in, in America, the Twin Towers, and you're too scared to actually check a prosthetic. And were and you I... actually carrying a bomb that day? <laughs> no, thankfully. Oh, no. Um, I've had it swabbed. They swab every now and again do they, for uh... explosives around right. the top. And, you know, I'm very tempted to go, listen, how do you think I lost it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was that thing, it was that realisation that this guy is too scared to actually do his know, job yeah. properly that made me go, right, I want to talk about this now. I've got a reason to talk about it. I want people to feel okay and just know to not get freaked out by it. And weirdly, that's now carried on to the Paralympics and beyond. And well, listen, Adam, there's the lost years, as we call them, the middle years, mm. which we haven't got time to talk about. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, it's lovely. One of my favourite guests of the whole series. Oh, Sean. So, uh, well, do you know what? <laughs> I remember being your support act. Uh, you, Don't rub it in. At the, <laughs> no, at the... Which theatre was it in Adelaide? Her Majesty's Theatre maybe in Adelaide. Right. This would have been in 94, 95. And then you and I playing table tennis for a long time after that. Yeah, I bet you won. No, I can't remember. <laughs> well, a guy who plays tennis doesn't win the table tennis. <laughs> Listen, uh, you've been listening to Adam Hill's part two. Uh, this has uh, been Sean Hughes, who we're under the radar. Thanks for listening.